to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want you to get up right now. Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell. You can't fight in here, this is the war room. Open the pod bay door. The devil ever pulled you in was convincing the Personally, Fight Club is. I award you no point. I talk about Fight Club. And may God have mercy on your soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of the Negs Best Film Podcast. I'm your host, Matty Negs, and I'm going to be joined today by Dan from Get Real Movies. He and I are going to be discussing Jon Favreau's new Disney animated remake, The Jungle Book. And we're also going to be having a discussion about Disney remakes in general. And we're going to also be colliding on a new edition of Cinema Throwdown here. Also, I want to just read off some of the poll winners that we had this week on NegsBestThing.com. Which live-action Disney remake is your favorite? The choices were 101 Dalmatians, Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, Maleficent, and Snow White and the Huntsman. With a three-way tie. Three-way tie. 101 Dalmatians, Maleficent, and Cinderella all walked away victorious. I can argue that Cinderella is probably my favorite of the group there. But hey, what are you going to do? Ties are ties, right? And then we also had the winner of our latest rollback review, which happened to be the Toy Story Trilogy. It was able to beat out another trilogy, which was the Dark Knight Trilogy, and Foxcatcher and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Also new on the site, we recently launched a brand new upcoming releases page where you can check out the latest new releases that are coming soon through a theater near you on negsbestthing.com. I hope you guys enjoy that and get some good use out of that for all of your upcoming films. Not to mention a little preview of what I might be reviewing on the site itself. Be sure to check out my friends JD and Brendan over at InSessionFilm.com. They are two hosts of the InSession Film Podcast. I tend to help out from time to time. I uh, consider myself the third wheel in that nice little machine that they run over there. It's uh, pretty amazing stuff. Their podcast is of high quality. And if you get a chance, please be sure to subscribe to them on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere where there's a podcast. However, if you're going to subscribe to me, you can subscribe to me on SoundCloud, iTunes, and also on TuneIn. With all that said right now, let's get to it. We have a lot to discuss here with Dan. Here we go. Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Neg's Best Film Podcast. I've got Dan Schubert here from GetRealMovies.com. Dan, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Matt? I'm pretty, pretty good, actually. I'm actually better than normal. I feel great. So I just wanted to uh, thank you, first of all, for being on the show today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be on, man. I'm very excited. I've been uh, been gunning for this uh, guest uh, podcast for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prestigious spot, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be discussing uh, the new Disney film, The Jungle Book, or is it really new? Not necessarily. It is a remake. <laughs> But before we get to that, I just wanted to uh, first ask you, what have you been watching at home so far this week? 
Well, quite a few things. Um, I had to uh, obviously watch The Revenant in uh, preparation for my episode that I did uh, just before I came on uh, about The Jungle Book and The Revenant. Um, mm. So that was two hours and 36 minutes of my life that I'll never get back. Um, oh, you didn't like it. Well, I'm I'm average about it. I'm have mixed feelings about it. I'm not one of those people who either hates it or loves it. I'm just like meh, you know, seven out of ten. It's all right. It's not anything spectacular. I think it's pretty overrated. Um, but you know, the great performance by uh, Tom Hardy, fantastic cinematography. That bear scene's amazing. But uh, I feel like it's just a continuation of that Quaalude scene in Wolf of Wall Street. That's all DiCaprio's performance is. Just him writhing on the ground but he does a better job of it in wolf of wall street than he does in this honestly oh wow uh i've never heard somebody actually trash it the way that you are in a sense right now i i love the film i Mm. actually think that dicaprio was um not his best but pretty phenomenal I i do think wolf of wall street is his best well, I think this is his worst Oscar-nominated performance. It's still really good, and I'm not trying to trash it in a way, but I just feel like you can't give an award to someone just because they eat some meat when they're a vegetarian and they're in harsh conditions. Like, no, I'm... I don't think it was that. I think this was more of the overdue factor that you know normally actors will get as they get up there with age. I mean, we saw it happen with Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart. I mean, nobody thought that that was the best performance of the year. It was just his time. And with zero competition this year or somebody else that really, really, you know, I I think really deserved it. Hmm. I think everyone just looked at it like, hey, you know what? Leo's got a good enough performance. Nobody else is really given like a truly amazing performance that trumps his, that this is the time. I, I thought, honestly, I thought um, Fassbender's performance, even in Slow West, but in Steve Jobs was uh, superior. I, oh, I completely agree. I, yeah. I'm i with you on that. Fassbender's performance was the best male performance I saw all year. Uh, and I definitely think Steve Jobs is completely underrated. And I urge everybody to check that film out. I love that movie. That was my number two of last year. I love that. Same. Yeah, hey, there we go. (laughs) No, but uh, what else have I been watching? Um, I watched uh, um, just a little film called Misconduct. It was kind of a straight-to-VOD release. It was with uh, Josh Duhamel, Mullen Ackerman, Alice Eve, uh, Anthony Hopkins, and Al Pacino. Hmm. Um, It was like kind of like a kind of thriller psychological thriller it's all about this uh lawyer who uh uncovers something pretty uh crazy cover-up uh, involving uh anthony hopkins and he kind of has to go against it while being kind of manipulated by uh, a woman in his past so that that was interesting like you know it's kind of just a solid three out of five six out of ten you know it wasn't anything spectacular but i wasn't expecting anything spectacular so it, it's good for what it is and it's a good straight to vod release you know so uh that that was fun enough yeah i mean i've never heard of this one before uh do you know any place where i could catch it right now um well you could probably find it online somewhere um I got it in on a Blu-ray because uh, one of the distributors I'm with, they like send Blu-rays two weeks early to most of their press to kind of, you know, get a DVD review out, which is, you know, which is, you know, just kind of cool, like a free Blu-ray. I'm, I'm a big movie collector, so I, I'll always take a, f- a, fle- a free Blu-ray mostly, most of the time unless it's a really bad movie. So uh, 
And uh, I also watched another one of those, uh, The Benefactor, which was interesting enough, uh, a little better than Misconduct, probably like a 6.5 out of 10, um, which was interesting with Richard Gere. I, I, I quite like him, and it's from the producer of Arbitrage, and I, I loved Arbitrage, like, yeah. fantastic movie. Uh, I think that was the year Jeff Bridges won, and I thought Richard Gere should have won. Yeah, Richard Gere should have been in the conversation a lot more in general that year. Yeah, he was, yeah. And um, then also I've been watching a bit of Daredevil, uh, re-watching it more like, because uh, I'm uh, doing a podcast right now on uh, TV in my brain uh, where we're going through uh, Daredevil season two. We're doing like three episodes and talking about uh, the whole season. And so that that, that was great because I love that show and just getting to watch it again was better than uh, better than watching uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's think. Uh, I went to Everybody Wants Some. Finally, I loved that movie. Oh man, like I absolutely love that movie. Like I just went into it not expecting anything really because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I just came came in with an open mind, and it blew me away. Glenn Powell is yes. so good. Like he was freaking amazing, and even Blake Jenner. Zoe Dooch, oh my god. I, I echo everything you're saying about Glenn Powell. He oh. is just oozing with charisma in that movie. He He's fantastic. I want to see him in like every movie now. <laughs> I, I agree. Every time he's on screen, it just it's just so magnetic. I loved the way that Richard Linklater uh, filmed it. I love the way that he writes his characters. Whether it's improvised or not, it just feels so real and so lived in. And it transports me back to a time that I wasn't even alive for. And it makes me feel nostalgic about it. So, I mean, if that's not the true testament of this movie, I don't know what is. Yeah, and Dazed and Confused, I think this almost trumps that in my mind. Maybe because it's closer to my time, and I'm like, I wish I was born and lived in the 80s. Because mm-hmm. that's just like, the music, I love it, everything. Like, the way they dressed, oh my goodness, it's so cool. But, uh, yeah, just a fantastic movie. And after I saw it, it was my favorite uh, movie of the year. Until two days later, when I saw <clears throat> Captain America Civil War. Ah, jealous. I know, you said that. You said you hate me when I told you. <laughs> oh, I don't just hate you. I loathe you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's even stronger. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just completely jealous on all accounts here. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want to know anything. Just... No, I'm not going to tell you anything. Just say, go see it. I booked um, my Thursday night ticket already, my Friday night, and my Saturday night ticket. Woo! That's all I could say. Wow. That's dedication right there. Disney well, must I'm... love you. Yeah, well, obviously, they. of course, I love every, like, I'm a huge fan of most Marvel movies that I see. Like, the only one that I can really say that I haven't liked in the last, like, couple of years was Thor The Dark World. And even that was still, like, a solid 7 out of 10, which is what I gave The Revenant. So, who, who runs that film now? Is it Disney? Is it Marvel? Is it Paramount? Like, it's well, what's Disney. the deal here? Yeah, it's Disney that runs it. Obviously, Marvel has all the power, obviously, but Disney is the one that provides all the money. So Disney mm. have quite a big say, I'm sure, in what happens. But Kevin Feige really runs it, and he does an amazing job with it, right? So uh, I-, I implore you all. Like, I'm going to um, take my friends on Thursday. I'm going to take my little brother on Friday, and I'm going to take my parents on Saturday. And I'll 
probably see it a couple other times. Like, I remember I went to the uh, Winter Soldier premiere in 2014 because I was able to get tickets through a mutual friend because that was the first time I was ever in L.A. And I love that movie. I think I went to see it seven times in theaters. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm a big Marvel fanboy. So uh, that's something people should know about me. Uh, I hope I don't lose respect from film fans because I've been really getting roasted on uh, Facebook and Twitter for uh, saying how great Civil War was from some of the podcasting community. But uh, well, well, let's back up for a minute here. Are you one of those Marvel fanboys that does not back down and everybody else is wrong and you're right and you come no. off as obnoxious? No, no, I'm not one of those Marvel fanboys because I know there are plenty like that. Like, obviously, I understand that. Marvel isn't for everyone, but I feel like people should really appreciate good filmmaking, good storytelling, and Marvel does that. They don't just make movies for, you know, Marvel fans. They make movies for um, the mainstream audience and critics alike. Like, there's a reason why most Marvel movies get, you know, guaranteed or certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, It's because they make quality movies and they know how to do it, so... I think that people who, you know, just say it's a bad movie, you know, that's their opinion, and I'm going to let them say that, but I feel that a lot of people love these movies, and that's just, you know, proved every year with, like, the new and original content they're putting out. Even though it's based on comic books, they're still making it, you know, putting their own personal twist on it, and it's so good. Like, it's just, I, I feel that people... Um, who don't watch Marvel movies are missing out. And you know what? If you watch Marvel, if you watch a couple movies and you don't like it, then, you know, I respect you if you don't want to watch anymore. But Civil War, Ant-Man, The Winter Soldier, they're just completely different takes. And, you know, uh, Civil War is just deeply, deeply emotional. And it's probably one of the most emotionally impactful movies I've probably ever seen. It really lives up to its title of the godfather of superhero movies. Wow. So I'm going to put you on the spot for a second, and you've got two seconds to respond. Favorite Marvel movie. Go. Civil War. Wow. Okay. That's it. Let's just leave it at that. That's enough said, I think, right there. And that's what I've been uh, what, what I've been watching this week. Obviously, I went to see The Jungle Book, but uh, we'll get into that a little later, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So my turn now. Um, I actually uh, caught up this week and I posted a review up on nextbesting.com for District 9. Ooh. Yes. So that won the poll on my website for which film I would watch and review next as a back review. Yeah? Yep. Did you vote for District 9? I did vote for District 9. Great movie, man. It is. Great movie. Ah, Neil Blomkamp has not topped it yet. I don't think that Elysium no. or Chappie were anywhere near the level that District 9 is. Chappie. Oof. Yeah. Still gives me nightmares, man. It's not as bad as people say it is, but it's still not great by any means. That's an uh, that's an understatement in my uh, my my opinion. <laughs> okay, that's fair, but we can agree that District 9 is a fantastic film. I mean, the concept alone is so original and so well thought out and turns uh, a lot of conventions on its head here. I mean, aliens are no are not the enemy. Humans are the enemy in this film ultimately. Chantal Copley's character, Wickes, starts off as like this obnoxious, prejudiced uh, doofus, really. And he undergoes a tremendous character transformation in the movie that 
you know, literally and figuratively has a profound impact on not only him, but on the audience as well. And really, really gets you to rally to his side. And I love the commentary that the theme, uh, that the themes in the movie is touching upon here. I think Neil Blomkamp, uh, his style, choosing to shoot it as almost like a documentary in the beginning with found footage, um, using archival footage, and then just a sense of editing that plays on throughout and how it never feels like it loses focus and it just moves from one point of view to the next seamlessly. It, it's a brilliant job all around. Yeah, it is. And... Um... It introduced us to Charlotte Copley, which is like one of the best things uh, Blomkamp has ever done. Because I don't know if you you, you saw Hardcore Henry, I but did. that guy is one of the most versatile actors I've seen after watching that movie. Oh my mm-hmm. god! Like oh, he's awesome in that movie. He's the best thing about Hardcore Henry. Easily. He is. And so, uh, I mean, I I really hope that Neil Blomkamp is able to top himself uh, soon. And I'm not saying it has to be even better than District 9, just make something as good as District 9. Because I fear that with Elysium and now Chappie not really living up to the success of District 9, I'm worried that studios are going to start backing away from him a little bit more. Um, He's not going to get the same opportunities that he was afforded after District 9. I always maintain that with Elysium, that there must have been a director's cut somewhere that um, a longer version of the film that would make that film feel more complete and more whole. Cause I felt like watching it, it was just, it was missing something. Mm. I didn't know what it was necessarily, but it just felt like it was missing that one little extra thing that would have just pushed it into greatness. And it never seemed to ever click so much with that film. But district nine is definitely, in my opinion, uh, a modern day masterpiece. And I, wholeheartedly recommend everybody to check that out if you have not already seen this awesome film yeah i agree but enough about that let's now dive into walt disney's latest film the live action remake directed by john favreau the jungle book can't learn to run with the pack one of these days you'll be someone's dinner i can't help but notice there's this strange odor today man is forbidden run Mowgli. no longer safe for you. But this is my home. Only man can protect you now. Poor sweet little cub. What are you doing so deep in the jungle? You are a man cub who wants to live in a jungle. How do you know that? Kid, I got ears. My ears got ears. Only I can protect you. Forget about your worries in the What's that? That's a song about the good life. All right, so we have The Jungle Book, and this film is 
quite a marvel, let me tell you. I mean, if you're familiar with the 1967 uh, Disney animated film, you'll know that uh, what the story is here, ultimately. And you'll also um, understand from the promotional materials that this is a hell of a voice cast, let me tell you. I mean, this is a packed film with unbelievable voice talents. Idris Elba, Ben Kingsley, Bill Murray, Lupita Nyong'o, Scarlett Johansson. Um, Neil uh, Seti plays uh, the young uh, boy Mowgli in this film. And I wanted to say, too, I, I I used to make the mistake when I was younger of always saying Mowgli instead <laughs> of Mowgli, which is the way that it's pronounced here. And I don't know why, when I was a kid, I always just say Mowgli. I, I, I don't know. So when I actually heard it said Mowgli in the uh, film, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that is right, isn't it? Because that's how it's spelled. <laughs> and I just had that moment while watching it. But enough about that. Let's pass it off to you, Dan, first. What did you think of The Jungle Book? Well, first off, you forgot one notable uh, member of the voice cast, and that is Christopher Walken. Right. Yes, absolutely. How dare you, Matt? How dare <laughs> he, you? He's probably going to just hop on the podcast right now and be like, yo, what? what? how could you forget me? How could you forget me? <laughs> I'm Christopher Walken. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. no, I, I agree. Uh, I don't do a great Christopher Walken impression. Neither do We'd I. have to bring on someone like Kevin Spacey probably to do that, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Kevin Spacey is, uh, I mean, he, he's so good at impressions. He, oh, I, yeah. he, he could do literally anybody. He can. Johnny Carson, oh, brilliant. But uh, The Jungle Book, um, I have to say... Um, Cinderella was my favorite live action remake they've done so far. I love that movie last year. Um, it, it really surprised me. It was, you know, light touch. I didn't think I'd like a movie about a princess, but I did. And it was really well done. And Kenneth Branagh, just fantastic director. But this has usurped that 100%. This movie is not only revolutionary in the way it is made with the CGI it uses, but also it features one of the best voice casts in existence. And they are all tailored for their part. Mm. They are all perfect for their part. And, you know, Neil Seti, I didn't exactly like him sometimes. He was a little uncharismatic. And uh, um, I wasn't a big fan of him. But once you look back and see that he was acting with green screen and people wearing balls on their heads, not knowing exactly what these animals would look like, I have so much respect for that kid. Like, he is a phenomenal actor, and I know he's going to have a great future if he can act with nothing and still have such a convincing performance. Like, this movie just was absolutely magical and by far the best uh, Disney live-action remake we've had. Yeah, I I completely agree with you there. I I think that Neil Seti is actually... uh, pretty good in this for all the things that you said before i mean you gotta imagine how difficult it must be to act against nothing and yet he makes it listen he's, he's not gonna set the world on fire uh, no pun intended but <laughs> he definitely makes it work and he does carry the entire film as its only human component so that deserves special mention for sure and i definitely uh want to just throw my hat out there to john favreau for uh, you know directing this kid to a performance that like i said it's not a uh, uh a tremble uh performance like room 
but it's definitely a performance that uh, is good enough to anchor this movie. Yeah. The real uh, story of this film, though, is the CGI of the animals and the voice actors that play them. Mm. This is impeccably uh, well-casted film. I mean, you. I mean, just look at it from every single character here. Ben Kingsley as uh, Bogira, playing the the wise panther, black panther that ultimately acts as Mowgli's guide throughout the story. Uh, how how can you get a better actor than someone with the uh, natural gravitas in his voice than somebody like Ben Kingsley? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he has a distinctive voice, like Morgan Freeman, right? Like, you want him to be your uh, mentor almost, don't you? Absolutely. And then who else is there? We got Bill Murray playing Baloo. Great. Mm. The bare necessities, man. Yeah, man. He provides all the levity needed for this movie. And he provides all the great comic relief that completely works very well here. And then also, there's one of my favorite voice acting performances uh, um, of the year so far in Idris Elba mm. as Shere Khan. Elba is so menacing here and so imposing and just downright threatening as Shere Khan that he might just go down as one of my favorite villains of the year here. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And <laughs> that's coming just from someone who voices... A character. He's not even like on the screen. He would have been even more menacing if he was on the screen himself. Like that's how imposing Idris Elba is. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's great here. And you were mentioning before, and I am sorry that I did uh, not mention him myself, but Christopher Walken is also a tremendous amount of fun in this film as King Louis. Yeah. I was a little um, hesitant at first because you know Walken's got that. You know he's got that voice. Yeah. And I was worried about how he was going to utilize it here, but he provides a performance that is varied enough that it worked for me, and I had absolutely no problem with it. And Christopher Walken always has this sort of, like, Walken-type performance, like, especially in his last couple of movies, but this didn't feel like that. This, like, actually, he became King Louis. He wasn't Christopher Walken, and I like that. Like, he wasn't... He wasn't over the top with his voice as he usually is. He was kind of, you know, he was King Louis. Yeah. And I, and I loved it. Like the like uh, the song he did, um, People, certain people said that it kind of felt out of place. But, you know, I, I, I still loved it. Like, obviously, for people who have seen the original, that it's kind of how it goes. Like, sometimes it, it's supposed to be a musical, but it's not as much a musical as it is just a movie and just with a few musical numbers. And I like, you know, Christopher Walken had a fantastic voice. Like he actually sang it well. And Baloo with Bare Necessities, that was fantastic. Like I love the music. Yeah. I, I, I was okay with Walken here, but I, I don't know about the inclusion of the two uh, songs here in the film. Hmm. I'm a little bit hesitant on that because even though it does play up the nostalgia of the uh, Disney uh, version, we get Bare Necessities and we get I Want to Be Like You. I, I question whether those really needed to be in the film because it seemed almost out of place and too distracting for me compared to the heightened sense of realism that was taking place around it. 
And I'm not so sure if it fully had the impact that it needed to here. I can understand updating the film for modern audiences and wanting to carry over something as iconic as those two songs into this film. But they weren't even like the full songs. They were kind of like abbreviated versions of it. So I was pretty mixed on that. Yeah, like I can understand I want to be like you because I was kind of thrown in there. But um, the bare necessities I felt like was, was kind of perfectly mixed with what was happening at the time. I really liked it, but you know, I, I can, I can understand why it might not mix with some people, but I, I think especially the bare necessities was perfect and just a great callback and, you know, utilizing Bill Murray's beautiful voice was, uh, was just fantastic for me. Now, what's your, what's your take on the uh, smaller roles here? Scarlett Johansson as uh, the snake, uh, was it Ka? Ka, yeah. Yeah, and also Giancarlo Esposito as Aquila, uh, Lupita Nyong'o. I mean, not really much going on for those characters here. Do you think they were serviceable? Do you think there could have been more? I, I disagree. I think that, like, especially Nopita you know, Nyong'o was fantastic as, like, the mother, uh, the mother wolf. Like, she was great. Like, she had, like, a quiet, understated performance, but it really packed a punch, I felt. Like, she, you know, was there protecting her cubs, not only her cubs, but also Mowgli, who, you know, was one of her own as well. And I thought that kind of brought a bit of an emotional core to the movie. And then Ka, oh my gosh, like, I hate snakes. Like, I'm Indiana Jones with snakes. So I was just shocked that something so ugly could be voiced by someone so sexy. Like, Scarlett Johansson is, like, one of the, like, most beautiful women in the world, I'd say. And, like... It's really interesting because, like, the brief scene with Ka, they don't make it out to be, like, sexy or seductive. It's more like, you know, oh, I, you know, want to eat you, so I'm going to quietly lull you kind of a thing. But it just, it turns out so sexy because it's Scarlett Johansson's voice. And you're almost seducted as well, like, seduced into, like, a lulling motion. Like, it, like ever since uh, her uh, voice work in her, she's, she's just... Her voice is so distinctive, just like Idris Elba and um, Ben Kingsley and Bill Murray. Like, I love how they all have really distinctive voices, these actors. And I felt that even though she had a small role, it really packed a punch. And it was like one of the highlights of the film for me. And even just that slow little like um, camera roll into the eyes, seeing what happened, you know, in the past, that was really cool. And I loved how organic the camera work is, was in this movie because, you know, even though it's completely CGI, like, we had mud come onto the screen when there were, like, buffalo and stuff like that. Like, that's that's actually amazing. Like, it felt real. And John Favreau did such a good job with this movie. And, you know, you can see that all throughout the movie. And I thought that even the smaller... Um, even the smaller um, voice cast performances were fantastic. Even someone like uh, Gary Shandling, he uh, he voiced the uh, the pork or not the pork, yeah, the porcupine, I think. <laughs> and you know, he he recently died, so that was that was really emotional to see that. Like, I don't think many people noticed. Yeah. But I, I noticed Gary Shandling voice uh, his voice, and that was that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, that was cool that you picked up on that. I actually did not uh, pick up on that at all, but. One thing that I uh, do want to also touch upon here is I love, 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 love that, one, the CGI in this movie is out of this world good. Mm. But what really, really made it for me 
was that these voice actors that we're talking about here that do these performances, their facial features are incorporated into the animals that they are playing. And you can actually make out distinctive pieces of that actor's face on the faces of the animals. And it's so subtle, but if you look really closely, you can definitely notice it. I think it's maybe a quality of the eyes more so than anything, Hmm. but that was something that just blew me away while watching it. I don't know if you picked up on that or not. Well, I... I guess not not really in the movie, but I guess as you look at their characters side by side, it is something you might notice a little more. I'd have to look at that again, but I'm glad you did pick up on that. Yeah, it it was something that just made me go, wow, they were able to take animals that actually talk and make it not cartoony, but photorealistic and completely not cheesy at all. And even with incorporating these elements into the design of the animals, it still managed to uh, have that sense of, like I said, realism to it that did not teeter into cartoony territory not once for me. So I was very impressed by that, and I give all the kudos in the world to John Favreau for uh, pulling it off here. One thing that I definitely thought that the film was lacking, though, was... A truly memorable, powerful score. Hmm. I know that uh, John Debney, uh, who does the f- music in this film, while it's, I guess, serviceable to the film and it gets the job done, I wanted something with a more memorable, epic quality to it that was going to really hammer home uh, the power of this film. And I don't feel like we really got that here. Hmm. Uh, this is like twice that you and I have kind of disagreed about that. Because Zootopia, I kind of liked the score a little bit, even though it wasn't his best from uh, Giacchino. And this score, I really liked as well. So uh, that, that 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 is interesting. But this score, I thought was really epic. I don't know. I kind of really complimented the movie very well, and I didn't think it needed like this like fantastical score because I would have taken away from the movie. So I, I really thought it complimented it quite well. But I. I I guess I can understand why you might not have liked it, but I, I really enjoyed the score, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like one of those things where, as I'm watching the film, I definitely had the feeling that there was some very powerful imagery and scenes that were taking place on the screen. I mean, when Mowgli uh, stands up to Shere Khan, it's it's awesome. It's, it's the very definition of something that is awesome. But that moment did not hit as hard for me, and it, was, and it was puzzling me why it wasn't. And I started to ask myself, is it because I'm just a cynical adult film goer and this is a movie that's built for kids? No, it was because the emotion of the film wasn't fully there for me because the score behind it wasn't there to push it out of me so much. Hmm. I mean, I, it was there. I could sense it. But it wasn't a fully immersive experience that I was hoping for um, due to the lack of that symbolic score that just made me get so amped to run home and download it. I I haven't listened to it since. Hmm. I haven't had a need to. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. I just, I felt that the story was so epic that it didn't need this epic score. Like, you know, occasionally there's movies that have epic, uh, that have an epic story and an epic score but you know that that's only few and far between so like I can understand why you might have wanted more out of that but I, I necessarily didn't really 
need this epic score. I, I thought the score was fine. Like, you know, I didn't think it was like out of this world, but I thought it was good and I thought it complemented the um, movie well. All right. Well, let's get into uh, final thoughts and grades here. Dan, what would you give uh, The Jungle Book and what are your final thoughts on the film? I'd probably say for me, it was a closer to a 4.5 than it was closer to a 4. Um, like, I, I on mine, I gave it... Um, an 8.5 out of 10. So I guess that's like more like 4.25. So I'd say between 4 and a 4.5. It was really well done. The CGI was out of this world. Like, I don't know how Avatar 2 is going to top this. Obviously, I'm not doubting James Cameron, but oh my God. Like, this was just absolutely beautiful, this film. And, you know, just, you know, kudos to John Favreau. Kudos to the whole graphics uh, team. Um, I thought the script was very well, very well polished. Like, obviously, it was um, a little, you know, based on the original movie, but it still had enough original stuff in it that I liked. Um, I like kind of, you know, like the wolf anthem. They added that, which was pretty cool. Um, and just the voice cast was phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. And I don't know why they're making Jungle Book Origins. I think they should just leave it alone and forget about that movie. And just, you know, 50 years from now, when they have new amazing actors, make it then maybe, you know? When I'm like 80 and I, I want I want a little nostalgia, then I'll go see the Jungle Book remake again with different actors or something. But just... Phenomenal movie, a great, great live action remake, and I just I can't be more excited for what else uh, Disney are gonna do. I just, uh, you know, at first I was hesitant, but they just keep uh, keep bringing great, great uh, live action remakes, and I'm gonna give it yeah, uh, uh, probably a four point five out of five. So, I wanna just also say too that this is a film that works just as well for adults as it does for kids. And I do think that it is a really good version uh, to be told in place of the animated film. And a lot of that does have to do with the quality of storytelling, um, the fact that it isn't necessarily cheesy, it's not overdone, it's not something that you can hang your head in shame over. This is a film to definitely be really proud of, and I feel very confident in one day showing hopefully my kids uh, this film, and I would also like to show them the original animated one as well, but if they're not into that because they say, oh, daddy, that film's old, you know, I, I would feel okay showing them this one. I do think there's a lot of really great lessons to be learned here in discovering who you are and your place in the world and tying into that i want to also say too that i love that the ending to this film was different than the animated versions ending as well in that mowgli uh, decides to stay with the jungle instead of going off to the man village um, and following like the girl at the end as he does in the animated film yeah. uh, something that i was kind of dreading uh, I was hoping they wouldn't do something like that here, and I was really glad that they didn't. Yeah. And I don't think that that's you know necessarily a spoiler. I mean, with, I no. think we've all I think we've all seen the animated film at some yeah. point in our lives at this point. I mean, this is a remake after all. So yeah. In any event, here, um, I also think that some of the things that they borrowed from Kipling's uh, original uh, stories, like the Laws of the Jungle, and you know, including that in the narrative. 
I think that was all really well done, and I thought it definitely uh, added a lot more to the story. And they, you know, they did a really fine job all around. I do have some nitpicky flaws here, so my rating is not as high as yours. So my rating is going to be a three and a half out of five stars here. Hmm. And you can read uh, that review on nextbestthing.com. But our next uh, topic of discussion is actually going to be this whole Disney animation remake thing that's going on right now. (laughs) So you and I both grew up in a time where Disney uh, was having the renaissance with animated films. It was probably the greatest time ever to be a Walt Disney fan. I mean, literally the best time. And now we're seeing uh, with the invention of CGI and it, honestly it just coming into its own in recent years as a huge filmmaking tool we're seeing more and more a lot of these films that we grew up with getting remade into live action CGI filled spectacles hmm. and so I wanted to just touch upon this topic uh, here really quickly because I'm finding it in one way um, kind of not needed And at the same time, I don't have a problem with it. I guess as long as the movie itself is good. And I mean, I know that's kind of weird to say because that's all that everybody wants, right? They just want a good movie. But I feel that there are some films that just need to be left alone. And they are considered timeless and they can stand on their own. They don't need this. Um, Let's list off some of the ones that we've gotten so far. We've gotten Alice in Wonderland by Tim Burton. I did not. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Alice in Wonderland. I oh no, no, we'll get we'll, we'll get to that. Believe me, believe me. Uh, Cinderella by uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. We've had 101 Dalmatians starring uh, Glenn Close. Yeah. We've had Maleficent uh, with Angelina Jolie, and we've also had Snow White and the Huntsman uh, with uh, the Huntsman Winter's War actually set to come out uh, this weekend. So. It just seems like it's not stopping, and it's just going to keep on going. Now with The Jungle Book, I'm happy that we got a film here that I feel really, really good about. And I'm actually, you know, kind of hoping that it will stand as uh, a sign of things to come. Because uh, up next, we've got Pete's Dragon, and we've got Beauty and the Beast. Now, Beauty and the Beast is a film that... I think it's one of the best Disney films of all time and it is not old enough that it needs to have any kind of a remake. But I mean, when you look at the cast that's currently involved with that film and the talent that's behind it, as far as the directing and what they have going on behind the camera, I mean, that looks like it could be pretty, pretty epic stuff. Yeah. So what's your take on all this? How do you feel about it? Do you think they should just stop? Do you, I mean, they're not going to stop, but I mean, do you think they should uh, what do you think? Um, you know what? I don't think they should stop. I think that Disney, ever since um, Laster took over uh, Disney's animation, they've just kind of, like you said, gone through a renaissance, right? And I think that's almost translated to every one of their properties, like their live-action remakes, their original movies, their um, their acquisition of Star Wars and Marvel. They just are making all the right decisions and they are a money-making machine and they're actually putting this money to good use. It seems like they actually care about the ratings, how good their movies are now, uh, not just about how much money they make. And 
I feel that, you know, there's been, you know, Alice in Wonderland wasn't a big fan. Uh, I feel it was really weird that it got $1 billion. I feel the sequel's going to do really badly uh, compared to the first one because of just the movies it's coming out around the same time. Um, but ever since then, Maleficent was all right. wasn't the greatest, but it was still good. But then we had Cinderella, which was fantastic. <coughs> uh, we had The Jungle Book was... You know, just so, so good as we talked about just before. And, you know, Peach Dragon looks like a lot of fun. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, oh my goodness. Like, Emma Watson, are you kidding me? Oh, it's going to be, like you said, and Ian McKellen. Like, it has a fantastic cast. So, yeah, fantastic director. So, I'm honestly really excited about what they're trying to do with uh, their live-action remakes. And honestly, there's some... Um, some ones that I'm a little hesitant about. Like, I'd say, like, Winnie the Pooh is one. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work as live action. Like, at yeah, all. Me neither. Because you can't, you can't go for photorealistic animals uh, to play, you know, like like you did in the Jungle Book here. You just can't do it. No. So, uh, are we going to get something that's going to be like uh, a Garfield situation? Oh, no. Where it's not a realistic portrayal of what an animal actually looks like, but more of a CGI animated version of the animated character? Mm, I, I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do with that. I just hope they 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 do, they do it right. I don't know. Like, you, know, you never know what really is going to happen. Like, I didn't know what to expect of the Jungle Book. I had no clue how they were going to do that, but somehow they made it work really well. So, you know, I think I think there's uh, some smart minds, and I'm not going to concentrate on what they're going to do. I'm not going to say anything about what they're going to do until, obviously, we see a trailer or some stills or something like that. But um, if, if there's one live-action remake that I'm excited about, I'd have to say it's Pinocchio. Mm. I don't why know if you that? heard about that, but no, uh, I've heard about it, but I'm curious to know why you're excited. Well, first off, we have Paul Thomas Anderson directing and writing. Yeah, I don't know about if that's actually going to pan out. Okay, well, they're they're saying he will. They're saying he will. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Paul Thomas Anderson ends up working alongside Disney, I I I I, I won't believe you. I just won't believe you okay. because that man is such a creative force to be reckoned with that I cannot possibly even fathom how he's going to be able to work in conjunction with what Disney's vision is for this film. Because he is a guy that is in control of his own vision and damn it to hell if he's going to let anybody stop him. And you know for sure that Disney executives are going to want to step in and take the reins of this film he'll leave the project before it ever gets off the ground believe me well i'd, I'd say i disagree with you there because i feel that uh, disney are giving more leeway to their properties to do with what they want and i think john favreau did something amazing with the jungle book that m most people might have been like a little hesitant about and john favreau in my mind is one of the most underrated directors alive today I feel he's that, a good family film director well i i disagree i think he does like if you look at swingers that is nowhere near a family film and that is a great yeah film. but how long ago was swingers look at his current films that he's done since then but even chef that like that that wouldn't be a movie that i'd watch with my 10 year old brother or even my 12 year old brother you know like i feel that he he has such a variety of movies and yes okay iron man he's done both iron man's uh, so, you know, you can kind of label him as that, but I feel he's a very versatile director. And if you if you give him a chance to write and direct 
his own movie and create something, he will create something that's good that will, you know, be different from something he's uh, he, from anything that he's ever done. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of Favreau. And obviously, I know some people have their problems with him. But I feel that Disney are finally starting to realize, hmm, let's start respecting some visions from um, directors and letting them do with the property what they want. And obviously, if it's a bit too ridiculous, then, you know, we have to step in. And I know Paul Thomas Anderson's a bit crazy, obviously, sometimes. But you look at just the last couple movies he's done, There Will Be Blood, Inherent Vice, uh, The Master. Like, I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. So I, I think, I hope it'll pan out. And if it does... You know, I hope you eat your words, Matt, because I want to see, damn it, I want to see the Paul Thomas Anderson version of Pinocchio. Well, guess what? You're not going to. I just read that he's not directing. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I just read an article saying that he indeed has already backed out. He's not directing it. Wow, I've just eaten my words, haven't I? Yep, eat him up. Yum, uh, yum, 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 yum. Crap. Okay, well, he's going to come <laughs> back. I guess. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but I feel no way. You know what? I I'm still excited about it because supposedly Robert uh, Downey Jr. has signed on to stars Geppetto, so I'm down for that guy because that guy is one of the most charismatic actors out there. So I'm sure he's gonna do a good job. I hope so. I mean, his shtick is getting a little old for me at this point. Well, I hope they get a good director behind it, though. I was really excited about Paul Thomas Anderson, man. I just, I guess, I guess I was reading the wrong, uh, wrong. Yeah, they got to take someone that is somewhere in between an auteur uh, that is extremely well-respected and critically acclaimed and somebody who is not a complete unknown, uh, but also is like someone that can be willing to work within the studio system. So you're not going to see a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Quentin Tarantino or a Wes Anderson or anybody like that doing these kinds of films. Well, I mean, that's sad you might, me. I mean, yeah, I, you know, you might get who, uh, like a Damien Chazelle, maybe, hmm, maybe per chance, you know, I mean, he's only had whiplash really so far. Um, and I know he's got La La Land coming out. We'll see where his career kind of goes after that, but you never know if directors that are still in their infancy stage as far as their filmography goes and where they might possibly lead off to next. So, in any event, I think that the live-action remakes is something that I just have mixed feelings on, and it, that all just comes down to the quality of the films. I, I don't think that Tim Burton did uh, anything good with the Alice in Wonderland uh, remake, I actually think that his style hurt that film considerably, and I think that it just made it so unbearably boring and visually annoying to me, and I have absolutely no tolerance for that movie whatsoever, um, especially when Johnny Depp starts breakdancing in the final act of that film. I, I have no idea what the heck that was all about. I'm hoping that the sequel with, with Tim Burton out of the picture... Um, it expands upon the first film and is a little bit better, but man, I have no desire to ever want to go back and watch that. When I saw Maleficent coming out and it had kind of the same visual style as Alice in Wonderland, I just rolled my eyes. Even though Burton wasn't behind the film, I just immediately kind of wrote it off. <laughs> and Cinderella, I gave it a chance because of uh, Kenneth Branagh. And I was glad that I did. That was a pretty decent film overall. So 
Jungle Book now. Maybe the tide is starting to turn for me, but there's still a long way to go here in terms of making me feel better about these kinds of films, especially when I hold the animated classics so near and dear to my heart, seeing as how I grew up with a VHS uh, collection of these films, and this was all that I watched when I was a kid, until I got to an age where I was allowed to watch Star Wars and Jurassic Park and et cetera, et cetera. So that's uh, my take on Disney live-action films uh, and their remakes of the of the um, animated classics here. So in our final segment between you and I, we are actually now going to do battle on Cinema Throwdown. And the topic for this one is going to be CGI animals in film. So it's pretty broad here. We can pretty much pick whatever we want. And hey, let's do it. From now on, we are enemies. You and I. All right, everyone. So this here is Cinema Throwdown. The topic is CGI animals in film. Uh, we do not know which film the other person is going to choose right now, but we are going to debate over which one we think is better, and then we will put it up to a vote on nextbestthing.com, where you, the audience, will vote on the winner. So, Dan, I'm going to pass it to you first. Which film are you choosing here? Uh, I'm choosing Life of Pi. Um, especially the Bengal tiger named Richard Parker. Great choice. Great choice. Oh, that's an awesome movie. Well, I think that you, sir, are going down because for my pick, I am choosing Rise of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. If you if you had picked uh, if you'd picked Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I might have said yes, but there's no way I'm going down. Well, I, you know what's funny is that I actually thought about picking a Dawn of the Planet of the Apes here, but I chose Rise of the Planet of the Apes simply because of its humble beginnings and also its human uh, component here with the um, relationship between James Franco and Andy Serkis' character here. So, with that said, I'm going to start off first here as we do battle on Cinema Throwdown. So... Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a film that is directed by Rupert Wyatt. It is written by Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver and stars James Franco, Frida Pinto, John Lithgow, Brian Cox, Tom Felton, and Andy Serkis. And man, oh man, is Andy Serkis amazing in this film. What an amazing revelation of an actor. I mean, listen, we already know how talented he was before with his portrayal of characters such as Gollum and also doing King Kong. His performance of King Kong in that film, you put that together with the personality of Gollum and you get the character of Caesar here. I mean, there has been no better CGI performance in the history of film than what Andy Serkis has done with this ape character. And the relationship that he has with uh, James Franco's character, Will, in this movie is just some of the most heartwarming, and emotional stuff you will ever see, considering that Caesar is not an actual real animal. It's all created using computer imagery here. So it's unbelievable that his performance has the impact that it does, and it's his performance that carries the film the whole way through. I mean, that moment in the film where he speaks for the first time, how do you compete with that? You don't, you simply can't. That moment made my audience just sit in silence, stunned silence. There were gasps being heard in the theater around everybody. So 
No, you can't measure up to the power of that performance here. And even though your film has many CGI animals and many CGI moments overall, the quality of what goes behind the character Caesar from the acting to the way that he is uh, digitally manipulated from a uh, physical presence and I mean listen part of that is also Andy Serkis's motion capture performance as well but they use it mostly for reference uh, there's just nothing that could compare to this film here well I'd say first off you're wrong straight off the bat his the best performance is Gollum in Lord of the Rings without a doubt like no no one comes near that consider that movie was made 15 years ago this coming December and they it looks so realistic and also Rise of the Planet of the Apes was just an average movie like for sure it was great seeing Caesar but Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was 10 times better than Rise of the Planet of the Apes James Franco was not charismatic at all you didn't really um, uh, get get him get his character get what he was doing and I feel that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes really um, was the better film in many ways. And Well, James Franco was not trying to steal the spotlight from Andy Serkis. He was playing the character in service to the story of Caesar, which is what the film's about. The film's not about Will. The film is Caesar's film. And James Franco is playing the supporting actor role here, ultimately. So, yeah, no, he's not going to deliver a dynamite best actor of the year performance and i didn't expect that either i'm just saying that caesar was uh in my mind a lot better in dawn of the planet of the apes when he was leading the pact in a way kind of a thing and leading yeah but is that a quality of the writing or the performance i i think it's it's a uh it's i think it's both in my mind and if you go to my movie you obviously it's a little different because we have all these cgi animals but this movie is absolutely stunning you can even just start that this is like, uh, you know, kind of a smaller movie. It was more geared towards the Oscars, and yes, it had a big budget, but this movie made over hundred, over $600 million at the box office. It was huge, and it's, and it's not because, oh, everyone loves Ang Lee. Like, yes, he's a great director, and he won Best Director for this, but this was because the CGI animals in this movie were so freaking fantastic. Like, if those, if the CGI animals in this movie hadn't looked that good, I guarantee you, 200 million off the box office haul. This movie was phenomenal, and it was only made better by the amazing animals and the amazing CGI that it took to make these animals, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. Like, I've never seen better animals uh, in a movie, like, made completely by CGI than in this movie, and I feel... Not even The Jungle Book? The Jungle Book is the only one that comes close, because these animals just look absolutely magical, and it was kind of the same... So which tiger is better, Richard Parker or Shere Khan? (sighs) Well, the reason I say Shere Khan is just because of the voice cast, that that's the only reason I'd say it, right? Obviously. Oh, oh! So an actor behind the performance of your animal is what makes it better. So does that mean that my performance of an animal by uh, Andy Serkis playing Caesar is better? Well, you could say that. And I was originally gonna pick the Jungle Book, but obviously we just talked about that, so I thought I'd change it up. And I feel that this Bengal tiger is, you know, much better CGI. Um, like animals and Andy Serkis' motion capture uh, because somehow he was able to portray emotion without saying anything. And well, 
And let's let, well, let's focus on something else here. How about the stories of each film in general? Well, I mean, Life of Pi is so hokey and so, oh, so uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's so fantastical to the point that it's just overreaching and I just don't buy it at a certain point anymore. Not to mention, it's like at the end of the film, you know, you're wondering, is he embellishing? Did it really happen like that? Does it even matter? I mean, then you bring in the whole faith element into it and it's just hokey, man. It doesn't... It doesn't do it for me here. I can imagine if you have a strong sense of faith, maybe it speaks to people on a deeper level that way, but I, I kind of just scoffed at it and said, technical achievement, yes. Storytelling, eh, not so much here. But, Ang Lee's direction, though, is at least very, very good. But Rice, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, if you want to start talking about a good story, that was nowhere near. Like, that movie, there was a reason why it was average critically. Like, it was not a good movie. The only reason it was actually an okay movie was because of Circus's performance. And even that- Let me ask you a question. Do you have a pet? Yes. All right, so if your pet uh, was cared by you, and was mistreated by another human around, and your pet rose up and actually attacked like the other humans, but still had a huge bond with you because you were the one that cared, nurtured, and loved it. Like, you don't think that that's a powerful story? But not as powerful as this story in Life of Pi. Like, Life of Pi is one of the most powerful stories ever told. It was told by a Canadian novelist. A Canadian novelist, Jan Martel, wrote this book. Ah, all right, so you're playing the Canadian quotient here. All right, But I it see. sold 12 million... For anyone million... that doesn't know, Dan's from Canada. Let's just throw that out there. It sold 12 million copies. There's a reason it sold 12 million copies. It wasn't because it was a hokey novel. No, it was because it was an amazing story and epic and beautiful. And yes, faith plays a big part in that. And people, I think a lot of people, maybe not you with your cynicism can understand that, but I think that people really can identify with that and that he just wanted to love God. And it was interesting how they kind of uh, brought that into the movie and still touched on it. And there's a reason why it did so well at the box office. There's a reason why it was critically acclaimed. There's a reason why the novel sold 12, uh, 12 million times uh, and was a New York best time New York be New York Times bestseller for years. It's because this movie was just so good and the book was so good. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was an okay, like it was an okay movie. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I will take it every single day, like a fantastic movie. I will not deny you that. But I think Circus's performance in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was far supreme to uh, his one in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And I'd say that the uh, CGI animals in Life of Pi just only enhance the story. And so, I think if you're admitting that much about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you have to give a little bit more credit to Rise of the Planet of the Apes here, because Rise is the part one telling of the story of Caesar, while Dawn is the continuation of that. But all it and did was set it up. It, it didn't. It didn't do anything more than that. Like the only reason this movie. Oh was no, no, good. it did a lot more than that. Uh, it actually put Planet uh, of the Apes back on the map after Tim Burton nearly killed it. That alone is worth kudos. I like uh, Rupert. I think it was Rupert Graves that directed it, correct? No, Rupert, Rupert Wyatt. Rupert Wyatt, sorry, yeah. You can't sorry. even get the director's name right, man. Come on. I'm so, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm doing this off memory here, okay? You probably did all your uh, research on Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, but I feel that 
he did an okay job in setting up the story and yes reinvigorating the franchise but he did nothing more than that he added nothing new he didn't you know add you know great storytelling he didn't exactly add a great he script he had to choreograph all these complex scenes with motion capture eight no that was that circus is- though that that wasn't him the circus circus is the only one circus is the only reason this movie was actually enjoyable for me and that doesn't mean that his performance in motion capture was like you know his his animal yes it looked cool and yes you identified with that but isn't that sad that you identified more with an ape than you did with all the humans in the movie no that's the point i mean i could ask you the same thing about district nine Yeah, all right, so we're going to leave it off with that right there. No, that's not fair. Oh, no, no, no. I think it is. All right, fine. I'll tell you what. You've got 30 seconds to make a closing argument. I'll give you that. Okay, thank you. Okay, so Life of Pi, you look at it critically. You look at it at the box office. It did so well in both. Uh, The story was amazing, and it was only made better by um, the Bengal tiger, Richard Parker, by all the other animals. And... With Rise of the Planet of the Apes, if it wasn't for Andy Serkis, that movie kind of just would have gone down. And it wasn't, you know, the best CGI animal. It was just uh, an emotional performance, but it wasn't really the greatest CGI animal. That can go to Life of Pi and specifically Richard Parker. All right, so that is where I'm going to leave it off right now. So... Yeah, you're done, right? You're done? You're finished? Yeah, okay, okay. Very funny. All right. So that was Cinema Throwdown, ladies and gentlemen. So which film do you think has the uh, better CGI animals in it? Um, Which film do you think is a better film overall? Just feel free to cast your vote. There's only two choices here. Is it Rise of the Planet of the Apes or is it Life of Pi? So you can cast that vote on negsbestthing.com. Before we get out of here, Dan. Can you tell everybody where we can find you on the internet? The internet. Well, you can find me at uh, getrealmovies.com. Real is spelled R-E-E-L, as in a film reel. And uh, you can find uh, lots of reviews there, uh, podcasts, uh, contests if you live in Canada. Um, And uh, uh, Matt occasionally writes for us. He did a great uh, Batman vs. Superman review, which I totally agreed with. And he did a great Everybody Wants Some review, which I totally agreed with. So, uh, you know, it was it was interesting doing Cinema Throwdown because we didn't agree on uh, something for once, which was nice. So, uh, and uh, yeah, you can also check me up on iTunes and Stitcher uh, at the Get Real Movies podcast, um, which I've had uh, Matt on uh, uh, once so far to talk about Zootopia and uh, the Peanuts movie. And then we're also going to be talking probably later in the month about Eye in the Sky. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. And, um, yeah, just check me out. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Tell me if I'm wrong about Life of Pi. I'm always uh, in for a good Twitter argument at uh, Get Real Movies. Uh, real is uh, two E's. So thanks a lot for having me on, Matt. I really uh, loved uh, talking with you. And, yeah, definitely check out my site. Always, anytime, anytime. You're always a joy to have on here, and I thank you for everything that it is that you do, not just for nextbestthing.com and for me, but just for the filmmaking community in general. You are certainly going places, my friend, and I definitely encourage you to still keep it up. 
So with that said, this has been episode 9 of the Neg's Best Film Podcast. Next week on episode 10, my old pal James is going to be coming back from episode 7. We previewed Game of Thrones season 6 coming back to HBO this Sunday. And we are going to be recapping episode 1 titled The Red Woman. Going to be taking a little bit of a detour with the film talk, heading into more television talk. Should be a lot of fun. We're very, very excited for the most cinematic show on television today. Thank you very much for listening. I am Matty Meggs, and I'll catch you next time. Are you not entertained? How about you? Are you not entertained? This is a nice gesture. Oh, God. Oh, Good day, sir. Coming up. On 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.